You ever have something that uh, strikes you in the midst of the service? Like I talked about it a while ago, and to, to catch those things, kind of keep them in your pocket like a special treasure. As uh, when Jessica was reading the scripture this morning, that image of God's word being as sweet as honey, honey from a honeycomb. I had the rare privilege when I was a teenager in my late teens to actually work for a beekeeper for a couple of summers. And I can still remember the first time Doug, my boss, we went in, opened up, you know, we of course we had our, our masks on and gloves, open up the beehive, he pulls out the frame of honey, and then he plunges his knife into it and slurps it up. And he says, you've got to try this. <laughs> and I did. And I've never, that image just came back to mind. And sometimes, I hope for you, God's word is like that sometimes. You just, you open it and it's just like, oh, that is as sweet as honey from the honeycomb. During the season of Lent, one of the things that we are doing is encouraging you to think about what's your favorite Bible verse and how has God used it in your life. And uh, some of you who were here last week will know that uh, we did that not too long ago as, uh, as elders and pastors and our leadership team together. And I said, we've got to flow some of that into the service and encourage some of our other people, others in our congregation to do that. So this morning, we're going to hear uh, first from Glenn Cockle and then from, uh, from Doug Ashley. And so, Glenn, if you could come and share your favorite used verse with us. Images come to mind. Sort of bright lights. Yeah. <laughs> and I want you to just think about a time when you've been in the forest, perhaps, and there's light coming through, and it just seems to be hitting you and warming you up, and it's, it's also hitting the child that might be beside you. And, and you look ahead, and although the forest is in shadow, there seems to be a pathway that's got light. That is a memory that I have and really did go through. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This verse brought to mind a walk that I had in Monday Park with my three-year-old grandson, Declan. I clasped his hand in mine, looked down at my feet, and at him, I realized how precious he was and is to God and to myself. I knew then that although I loved him, I could not love him enough by myself, but I needed to see him and love him through the eyes and the light of Jesus, who is the light of the world and the word of God. When I looked up, I could see the pathway, pathway home. To me, it's the pathway home and also the pathway to my home. Was cast with light. I now realize that I must follow that light down the narrow path of life to really know how I should love.
Um, so I'm not very good at a lot of things, one of them being speaking. <laughs> um, and which this verse, 1 Peter 4.10, um, reminds me that that's okay. And um, each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. So it reminds me that um, I'm good at a few things, and I'm not very good at a lot of things. And um, again, that's okay. And that it reminds me that everyone else is also, they're good at some things. And sometimes those things aren't obvious, but everyone's good at something. And yeah. Thank you, Doug. I actually called him almost like a 911 call this week. The network isn't working, and uh, he's the go-to guy for that. He's also the ninja of pie making, I was told, and I had a chance to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I had a chance to have a piece of his pie after that, and yeah, I agree. One of the things he's very good at. Well, let us, uh, before we enter into God's word uh, this morning, let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the riches that are in your word because, Lord, it is your words, your living words. And we pray that as we open up your word, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and plant your word deep in our hearts and minds so that when we go from here, we, it is impossible to forget about it. And that we just feel that we need the seeds that you plant in us to grow and take root and express themselves in our lives so that we can walk by your light, but also, Lord, that we can be, as you called us, to be light in the world for you. So we pray a lot today, but we are do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while studying at a language school in, Han in San Jose, Costa Rica, Mel West developed the habit of taking walks each afternoon. He loved seeing the brilliant green rows of coffee uh, growing on the rolling hillsides, the irrigation ditches, the beautiful songbirds. It was a welcome change, he said, from the classroom and an opportunity to practice his Spanish with the local people. A roadside shop made of crude lumber and tin caught his attention, and so he stepped inside. The shop had numerous wooden bed frames for sale, each of them hand-carved, uh, a bit rustic, but unique and elegant. And the carper carpenter came to the front, and Mel explained that he actually wasn't there to buy anything, but he was interested in him and his work. And so soon he was given a tour of the shop, with stacks of rough lumber that the carpenter would smooth with simple hand tools and a lot of hard work. With pride, he showed off a corner shelf that he was also making. Mel asked, how many people work in your shop? He replied, dos, two. When Mel looked around for the other person, the owner smiled and, and pointed to himself, uno. And then he pointed up, y Dios, and God. He and God worked together in the shop. 
And reaching for a, a piece of rough lumber, he explained that God made the trees and he made the beds. And then pointing to a finished bed frame, he said, Dios y yo, God and I. His theology was simple but profound. After all, how many people today consider God to be the full-time partner in their work and business? All kinds of work, not just paid work, but volunteer work and work around the home. What difference can Jesus make in the work that we do? That's the series that we're on, and what difference can Jesus make? And today we're going to look at the, the impact that Jesus had on work then and still has today. What I let's uh, read, I want to encourage you to open with me to uh, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. It may not be the verses that you were, or story that you were thinking about, you know, how do we explore our work, but we'll see why. So John chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, I'm going to read to uh, verse 14. Luke, sorry, Luke chapter 3. Faked you out there. No, that was me. Bad. Okay. Luke chapter 3, beginning in verse, I'm going to pick up in verse 7. So this is about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He's preparing the way for the Messiah, God's promised hero, to come. And John says to the crowds that were coming out to be baptized by him in the Jordan River, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And we will end there. Now, what I find intriguing about this story with John the baptizer is that he expects the coming of the Messiah to have a life-changing impact on a person's whole life. Baptism was never meant to be a mindless ritual, but a meaningful public commitment to following the way of God. It is, as Joel Green notes in his commentary, baptism is a resounding rejection of the old ways of living and a ready acceptance of God's will, done with sufficient seriousness so as to blossom in behavior sanctioned by God. I love that image, blossoming in behavior sanctioned by God. Every follower of the Messiah, yes, needs to be baptized. But John basically says, but if you're coming to be baptized just because it's become the popular thing to do, think again. John's words are blunt, his warning shrill and sobering. You brood of vipers, 
Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Part of why John is speaking so shrill-like is because he is a prophet. And as a prophet, they are the early warning system. If there's a tsunami coming, you don't want something that goes, <clears throat> excuse me, there's some danger coming. Right? You want something that is going to grip everybody's attention. That's why John is doing what he's doing. And he is saying your faith has to go beyond mere words. Yes, James will say things about that later in the New Testament. Genuine faith will and must, by its very nature, by its DNA, produce genuine results. And John underlines the urgency and necessity of faith that is fruitful. He uses a tree, his tree and axe metaphor. It's about to be felled if it doesn't produce fruit. Is there. And so he is undermining their trust that they might have in their tradition. Because many would be thinking, I'm a Jew. I'm good. You see, many Jews believed that God would ultimately be kind to them because they were the children of Abraham, God's chosen people. Surely, you know, Father Abraham, his, his merits were enough to cover for them, even if they didn't have any enough of their own. And John says... Not a chance. And his words then provoke a crisis. Well, this is what we've been relying on, so what then should we do? And it's a great question. In fact, it will be repeated by the tax collectors in verse 12, by the soldiers in verse 14, by a lawyer in chapter 10, verse 25, by a ruler in chapter 18, verse 18. And we go into the book of Acts, and, and there will be more people asking, what should we do when they hear the message? What behavior is appropriate for those who claim to have repented? That is, have turned from going their own way and turned to saying, I am following the way of God and of the Messiah, his chosen hero. And John answers them using three everyday examples that I want us to look at. Example one. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food, extra food, should do the same. Many peasants and day laborers in that day, they would have been shocked if they heard that someone like me has a walk-in closet to put all my clothes they had one shirt, and they lived one day at a time. Now, I am told there is a, an experiment going on in the youth group. How long can a person wear one shirt? I am heard that some are weeks into this. So I'll be curious to know, how long can one person just wear one shirt? And how long will the parents just let them do that? Okay. But we digress. Okay. Now, he is... Now, in many in those days, Jesus will tell parables about day laborers. And what we sometimes don't realize is, and there's one parable where, you know, the people that started at the beginning of the day, they got a full day's wage, and then those started later, and then some end of the day, and they still get a day's wage, because he says, come work. And it parable, but if you are a day laborer, and if you don't work today, your family doesn't eat today, then you realize that's really generous. He's, he's thinking 
about all of us and, and the extended. So they're living in a, in, a, in a world where there are a lot of people who are just living from day to day. That's all they can do to eke out a living. And so those that had more than the clothes on their back and more than a day's food can exercise their faith. So he's, he's saying, like, anyone can exercise their faith by following this practical rule of thumb that he gives them. You have two shirts or two of whatever it is, give one to someone who has none. You have more than enough food for today? Share it with someone who, who didn't get work today. Share it with someone who doesn't have enough. Nobody could have missed John's point. Like the Old Testament prophets, John was fully aware of the, this impulse to have this ever-widening gap between the rich and the poor. And he knew, as the prophets did, the need to reverse this trend and to bring it in line with God's kingdom values. Enough for everyone. And it is worth noting that this kind of social concern, this principle of caring and sharing, becomes an integral feature in the early church. We see that already in the book of Acts, right away, chapter 2, chapter 4. It's, it's right there embedded in it. Now, I rarely quote Menno Simons. Some of you are thinking, Menno who? Well, this congregation is part of the Mennonite Brethren denomination. And it gets the name from Menno Simons in the, in the 1500s, who was part of the Reformation. Getting back to the Bible, what does the Bible say? And many people, he was a prominent teacher, and so many people began to say, oh, you're a follower of Menno. And that's how they got the name Mennonites. So Menno... I should quote him more, but this is worth printing and posting. True evangelical faith is of such a nature that it cannot lay dormant, but expresses itself in all righteousness and works of love. And then Menno goes on to give more than 17 examples of which I'm going to give you a sampling of expressions of this. For example, it destroys all forbidden lusts and desires. It clothes the naked, feeds the hungry, consoles the afflicted, shelters the miserable, aids and consoles all the oppressed, returns good for evil, prays for those that persecute it. And he goes on, but a, a rich sampling. These are the natural outgrowth of lives reoriented around the God who is himself merciful. Ask yourself, what do I have that I could be sharing with others? It could be finances, yes. It could be time. It could be friendship. It could be helping to learn English or our culture. It could be a musical or technical or practical skill. It's tax season. I remember one of the former members of our congregation, he would set up shop and he would tell which days he's going to be in for those that couldn't do the taxes themselves. And he's, come here and I'll do your taxes for you. Had his computer and printer all set up. Maybe it's the summer arts camp and you think, I'm terrible at sewing, but I'm really good at fishing. I wonder if that would fit as an art form. <laughs> Whatever, okay, you get the idea. What do I have that I could share? Well, in example two, 
John fields a question from some tax collectors who came to be baptized. As commentator Joel Green notes, they represent a particularly offensive subgroup with John's audience since such people exploited the system of taxation for their own financial gain. They were collecting taxes from a lot of people and uh, they knew how to, I mean, you had to go through the toll, they had toll booths and you don't get through here unless you pay, oh, today's rate is. Hmm, that seems excessive, really? You look kind of like a criminal character. No, they, I mean, they would, they would know how to uh, get the most that they could. And teacher, they ask, well, what should we do if we're going to follow, get baptized and follow the Messiah? And uh, some might well have expected John to say, quit your job. It's impossible to follow the Messiah and carry on in this line of work. Now, John knew that many toll customs and tax collectors use their positions and power for their own financial gain, but he does not see their line of work as irredeemable. Instead, he challenges them to embody God's values in their day-to-day work by following God's justice rather than their personal greed. Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Now, there are challenges and temptations in every line of work. Amen? Cutting corners. Taking more time on breaks than the designated time. There's charging extra things to the expense account. And I could go on. But there are also opportunities to align ourselves with God's purpose and purposes in our work, at least in most lines of work. Some, of course, I remember Charles Colson's book, Loving God, and he told about a fellow who thought he could continue to, he could be, he'd come to faith, he thought he could be a Christian gangster. He was a gangster before with the mafia. He thought he could be a Christian gangster. Well, okay, probably have to give up that. Well, not probably, he would. Okay. <laughs> John's basic advice is don't be selfish or greedy. One way to reflect God's justice and fairness in our work is by doing an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. We know about grocery companies in the news for excessive profits, right? for rent, for services, for repairs. You know, when we moved here, boy, over 13 years ago, first thing was, where's a good mechanic who's honest? And we have one. And that is a blessing. It really is. Now, John's counsel is not exhaustive, is it? No. But it is instructive and practical. Honest day's work for an honest day's wage. I remember uh, the summer my daughter worked at the, at the PNE. I think she was kind of on cleanup duty there. And there were some fellow workers, of course, a team. And there were some on the team whose goal was to do the absolute minimum that they could do. And then when it got to the last day, they knew, hey, we already got paid, you know. We're not going to do anything today. 
We're not going to put anything away. We're not going to clean this up. And uh, I was proud to say Jessica was rather disappointed in these workers, but she did all the extra work to do her job and to finish it up. John would say, that's right. That's what a follower of the Messiah does. An honest day's work for an honest day's wage. Well, example three. In, uh, in verse 14, we meet a third group of people, some soldiers who ask John, what should we do? You know, I was just going to quote N.T. Wright right now, but I don't want to put you all to sleep. No, this is good. Boy. N.T. Wright points out that soldiers, the soldiers are probably Jews in the military service of King Herod. That is, they are unlikely to be Roman soldiers coming to a Jewish prophet for a ritual that only makes sense to Jews in their national story. So it's probably Jews. And uh, like the toll collectors, these soldiers are interestingly not told to abandon their career. Though in the early centuries of the church, amidst many Roman soldiers that come to faith, many will quit their jobs and say this is not appropriate work, what we are asked to do for the empire. So, just a caveat. But, but the, these soldiers, they are told that they can stay in their jobs, but don't misuse or abuse the power and position that you have, as clearly many did. That was rampant in that role. Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely, he says. That underlines what is off limits now. And the word translated extort in the New International Version, D-A-C-A-O, it means to shake thoroughly or violently even to harass and intimidate, which is why the English Standard Version translates John's instructions as do not extort money from anyone by threats, okay, or by false accusation. Be content with your wages. And just to be clear, this isn't a way of telling people to never negotiate a wage increase from their employers, right? That kind of inflation that we see in, in our day and age was virtually unknown back then. So annual pay raises, pay raises to keep up with inflation would not have been an issue then as it is in our day. John the Baptizer's main point is that people with power must not take advantage of those whom they can exploit. Misuse of power and position. We ever see that happen? Way too many examples happen in our world in all different kinds of lines of work. And John's advice recognizes the need for positive change. In other words, do your work like God does his work, with honesty and integrity. Work, according to God's design, is intended to help meet your needs and not your greed. It's easy to make profit, profitability. How much can I get for this, the, the bottom line? When I was, th as a teenager, thinking about what line of work am I going to go into, I can tell you I was thinking, which one makes a lot of money? As you can tell, God changed my mind on that one, but... It's really, it's a really key one, right? Right from, from young. Of course, profitability is important 
Whether you're an employee looking for a livable wage or an owner or a manager trying to make sure that your business is sustainable. But, as Timothy Keller notes, in the business animated by God's worldview, by the gospel worldview, profit is simply one of many important bottom lines. I want to conclude with a, a story of the difference Jesus can make in our work. It's from my hometown, Elm Creek. There was a headline. You can put that slide up. Elm Creek native appointed to the Order of Canada. Now, you got to know Elm Creek, Manitoba. I know, you've never heard of it. The only people that have heard of it, if they drove through or they knew somebody from there, my graduating class was one of the big ones, 12 people. Okay, this is not a big place. And it's my cousin, Rich, Richard Croker. He was recently appointed to the Order of Canada, the honor system that our country has for those who make extraordinary contributions to the nation. Richard is one of Canada's leading architects, and he taught for years at Dalhousie University in Halifax. And after studying and working in London, England in the 1980s, he did some work in a, for a while in a West African community that had no electricity and plumbing. And there he became interested in designing structures using local wisdom and local resources that would benefit the community that these structures were being built in. And when he moved back to Canada, he began to teach full-time at Dalhousie. And he was therefore cho he was chosen to be the architect for the Pictou Landing Health Center in, uh, in Nova Scotia, or also known as the Micmac Medical Center. There's a picture that I took when we were, were there years ago. Pictou Landing had an 80% unemployment rate at that time. This is 2007. And so Richard met, I remember his telling the story of how he, he would meet with the Micmac elders. And he would say, pick their brains. How did you used to you build things? What resources did you use? And, uh, and so he incorporated that into the design. Using trees from the community's forests that members of the community harvested. He, he bought a mill and they learned to harvest using the sawmill that was purchased. And the health center was built completely by Pictou Lake community members too. They offered a training program for the workers so they could learn new skills and the ones that had these skills could hone and develop their skills. And those skills are still being worked on and used today. Years later, they continue to support the community almost two decades later. Richard, he never did this work to get public recognition. He's as down to earth as they get. But he has chosen to use his God-given interests and abilities as much as possible for the common good rather than for the greatest profits. Lots of people wanted to, to do big projects. He said, I, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy focusing on things that will make a difference for people. And so when I... When I think about the difference that Jesus can make in our work, I think of my cousin Richard, who spent his life, he's now semi-retired, but spent his life working for the kinds of bottom lines 
multiple that reflect God's kingdom values. And I know that some of you, a number of you work like that as well in your places of work and employment. I picked up a a book in the new year, I want to end with this, called God's Week Has Seven Days. Uh, Wally Croker uh, works for an organization called Mita. He was a longtime editor of a, of, an, of a magazine called The Marketplace. And in his book, God's Week Has Seven Days, he has a year's worth of weekly, what he calls Monday musings for marketplace ministers. These are short one-page reflections that challenge, prod, inspire us to see and connect God with all the business of life. For example, what would it be like if Jesus came to your office? Another article, he thanks God for second mile service. For challenges us to live as God's daily agents. I'll be including a a link coming weeks in in the newsletter that you get. If you don't get our weekly newsletter, you're missing out. Go onto our website. You can sign up for it there. So look for that, and there'll be a link on there to an article. I'll give you a sampling of the one I'm going to put up this week, small one. It's called uh, Write Your Own Obit, that is obituary. And then he goes on, you know, that he had been at a, a funeral for a person who had a music, local music store that he had visited often as a kid. And he had moved away, and then he came back, and the, the guy had passed away. And Jack's store was gone. And at his memorial service, he said, I heard not a word about Jack's long career or the place where he had mentored me. Because when I would come into the shop, he would say, we'd talk music and, and, all, and life and all kinds of stuff. And as I listened, he said, I wondered if I had stumbled into the wrong funeral. Where was the Jack I had known? It was as if he had never worked. Perhaps those who planned his memorial service didn't know his work was important. There was a time when gravestones told tales of those who lay beneath them. Like this one from many centuries back. Here lies Dion, a pious man. He lived 80 years and planted 4,000 trees. You will get the rest of that, and I encourage you, it is, it is worth reading. Because I think we need inspiration, challenge of Jesus. You want the biggest number of hours that I'm using each week are in my work. Whether that is work at home, in the community, on the job. And Jesus wants to change our whole life, including our, our line of work. I want to invite the worship team to come up, and as they're coming, let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came not just to change life on the margins, not just to do some touch-ups, but you came to bring God's kingdom to this earth. And you taught us to pray that we should pray that God's will would be done on earth just like it is done in heaven. That we are to be your double agents. Those who are, yes, working for people, but ultimately you are our boss each day. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need a lot of mentoring and help to learn how to do that well. 
but we know that you are the best mentor of all. You came to save us from a dead-end way of life, to give us, to forgive us of our sins, to give us a whole new lease on life, to say, start over, work for me. I'll teach you how to really live. Lord, I pray that you would be our boss and mentor this week, that you would speak into our hearts in the midst of our day, remind us that it is you and we that are working together. Just like that Costa Rican man, simple but brilliant, that we work together with you. For your glory and the good of others. Amen.